Hi, this is Pastor Marquez Ball of the Uplift Church in Laurel, Maryland. Listen, it is my prayer that this word is a blessing in your life. I pray that it's uplifting to your mind, uplifting to your heart, and uplifting to your spirit. Check us out online at upliftmd.com. God bless. One more. Right, thank you. Oh, go back. Maybe I'll go down. Oh, there we go. All right. All right, if you got it, do me a favor. Would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter number three, verse number 23. Do me a favor one more time. If you got it, say amen. There you go. Nathan, he got it. He, he, he picked up on it. Amen. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Romans chapter number 3, verse number 23. Here's what it says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the word of God for the people of God. The word of God is already blessed. Do me a favor. Before you take your seats, put a smile on your face, joy in your heart. The joy that says, I know I got in because he didn't let perfect people in. Ah, you don't know my story, but I know I am blessed because I made it in. Put a smile on your face, joy in your heart. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, good morning. Good to see you. So glad you came to church. This morning's sermon is grading on a curve. Look at another neighbor. Look across at somebody. You got to skip some roads because some people ain't here. Smile at somebody. Say, hey, good morning. Today's sermon is grading on a curve. All right, all right, amen. I also had, had this uh, particular title that Michael pointed out to me. I was torn between that part, I thank God for the curve. Whichever one you want to write, you may put that in your notes. Uh, grading on a curve, but I thank God for the curve. Let's go before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's once again that I stand to proclaim your word. I pray, dear Lord, that I decrease and that you increase mightily. These, your people, will see and hear less of me and more of thee. Take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them to be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our God, our strength and our redeemer. Father, I have studied, but I need your strength. I have prepared, but I need your power. I'm willing and I want to, but I need you to make me able. Silently now, I'll wait for thee. Ready, my Lord, that will to see. Open my eyes and lift me, Spirit divine. Lord, prepare us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I thank God. I thank God for the curve. Um, I, I, I'll never forget, you will go with me in your spiritual imagination. Finding out about the curve. I'll never forget it. I remember it was about fifth or sixth grade. I come into a class only to find out that Miss Johnson is giving us a test. Miss Johnson uh, is giving uh, us uh, a test. I know I am not ready for Miss Johnson's test. How many of us have ever gone to class and you know you this ain't good at all. You look you're trying to feel sick so you can get out on this, this that kind of day. I know, I know I'm not ready for Miss Johnson's uh, test. Uh, test test comes out. I'm I'm looking at these questions like I don't think I'm 
think she went over this at all. Like, this, I don't remember her talking about, I don't remember this in my homework or nothing. I know this just is not, I'm praying for a fire alarm or something uh, to go off. This is just going down badly in Miss Johnson's class. I, I finished the test and I don't feel good about myself at all. I'm looking at other folks wondering how like, this something ain't right about this test. Mrs. Johnson, one of the meanest teachers, because she gave us this. This is all going uh, through my mind. We turned the uh, test in. My classmates are laughing. One says to me, I'm so glad we had that study guide. Oh, wait, pull up. Back up a little bit. You say you you glad you had what now? The study guide. You know the one Kevin gave us. Whoa. I ain't getting no study guy from Kevin. At this one time, I began to quote scripture in my mind. The Bible says Kevin can do all things through Christ. Addendum, Kevin can do all things through Christ, but play with me. Kevin's going to kick hands after class. That's really what I'm, I'm going through in my mind. And so I'm mad because some folks got a study guy from Kevin that I did not get. And so it's one thing to not feel prepared and you know you're going to fail anyway, but it's another thing to know that some jokers in class have a study God, and they shared with you, and, and so now I'm mad at Kevin. Found out a couple of other folk in class did not get the study guide. I Kevin was very selective with who he gave the study guide to, and I wonder how does Kevin get a study guide? Well, his older brother had taken the class and kind of passed it along to Kevin, and Kevin was selective in who he gave it to, and so they felt a little more confident than I did with the test. And we got. Got the test back. It was exactly how I expected it was gonna be. <laughs> I failed. I failed. Some of the other folks who didn't have study guides, well, they it was exactly how they actually go over this in class anyway. Exactly how they expected it. They they failed. Kevin sees Miss Johnson coming down his aisle, and Kevin, you know, all the confidence in the world. He grabs his paper, you know, she turned it over so other folks wouldn't see it. He smiles, he looked his over and turned it back over, and his smile was gone. <laughs> I feel good now. It's good. It's okay. I feel if that doesn't feel, I'm fine. I'm totally okay with this. How I am in Miss Johnson's class, fifth and sixth grade, and I remember that particular day. Everybody failed. Miss Johnson, one of the meanest teachers on earth. I can't stand Miss Johnson because now I gotta go home to my mom and them, describe to them how I failed the test that she ain't prepared us for anyway. But my mom and them ain't gonna believe none of that, so I'm mad. Miss Johnson says, everybody fail. That's fine. Here's what I'm gonna do. It's a pass-fail test. That's why everybody fails. Some of y'all got some answers right, but if you didn't score 100, Everybody failed. Ah, Kevin, you thought you was good because you had your own fat guy, but she's 100 to pass, and that means everybody failed. Justin said, I'm doing this right here just to show you all how much I actually care about y'all, and I'm not a bad teacher, and so I'm grading on a curve, but my curve is not a 20 or 30% curve. It's a 100% curve because everybody failed, and so for this particular test, come on, teacher, I'm going to give everybody a 100. I thank God for those kind of days in class, and you just got by, and I'm thankful for the curve. If the truth be told, those of us sitting in class have had several times when you were thankful for the curve. Anybody had a teacher give you a curve and it made all the difference in your class, you know you would have failed had it not been for the curve. I, I thank God for the curve. Really, this is what Paul shares with us 
here in the book of Romans, how God graded us on a curve. Let me let me share this uh, at the outset. Book of Romans, I've only preached two or three sermons here out of the book of Romans, and here's the reason why. Romans, y'all, is a weighty book. So on this Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to tap our toe in the water of Romans. Romans is not necessarily one of those books where you got folk shouting and running into each other. Romans is more of a doctrinally and theologically heavy book. So after Easter Sunday, when all the spectators came, we're going to go ahead and dive into something a little bit deeper. And so the book of Romans is really that. So you've got your sermon inserts to help you along that you may be, may be able to glean as much as possible out of this. And because it's weighty and theologically heavy, I'm going to need a little more amen maybe than usual. And so when it gets good to you, I need you to go ahead and say so. Say an amen or a hallelujah. Here we are. In the book of Romans, the book of Romans is really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to believers in Rome. This letter that I shared is filled with major doctrinal and theological statements that matter to all believers. Paul had three reasons for writing uh, this, this letter. First, he wanted to let them know that he had been making plans to come and, and visit them, but he had been working so much he didn't get a chance to go visit the believers in Rome. And so this little letter says, hey, listen, I ain't forgot about y'all. I still want to come by and, and visit y'all. Secondly, Paul wrote to give them a complete understanding of the gospel, a complete understanding of what happened on Good Friday and why it changed on Easter Sunday. The good story, the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. He wanted to break it down for them theologically and doctrinally what happened on the cross. That's his second reason for writing this little letter. But then third and more interesting reason for him writing this letter is because there was there was a fight there was there was tension there was a church fight between the Jewish believers and the Gentile or non-Jewish Christians this letter uh, was was written in such a way that it changed the lives of believers and it changed even Christianity as we know it the North African church father, St. Augustine of Hippo, in 386, picked up the scroll of Romans that belonged to one of his friends. He kind of picked it up by accident and he started reading. And after reading, he had been a skeptic for a long time. But when he read Romans, it touched him in such a way that he became a believer. And that's why he is a father in the church from North Africa. A thousand years later, in November of 1515, the German monk Martin Luther, Martin Luther was teaching on Romans as a professor, and it dawned on him that God's righteousness is not something that we work for, but it is the gift that God gave us. And so he started teaching that we are justified or made right by faith alone. This understanding helped Luther start a reformation and gave rise to the Protestant church. Had Luther not had this conviction while teaching on Romans, guess what? All of us would have been Catholic because that was the only type of church at the time. And so this gave rise to the Protestant Reformation. That's Martin Luther. 
May 24, 1738, John Wesley, already a preacher, was the founding father of the Methodist Church, was in an evening service at a church in London, and he heard some of Luther's commentary on Romans being read. And that day something happened to him, and he truly encountered Jesus Christ for himself, and his life was changed. This letter, over the years, have changed lives and Christianity as we know it. And it's still changing lives today. It's a weighty letter. Paul wrote this letter about eight years after Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. You see, they, they, they had had some trouble, uh, some riots, Jews were kind of acting a little crazy. And so uh, because they had some trouble with some riots, they weren't really sure it was the Jews. And so because they could blame it on the Jews, he said the Jews are the one messing up the city. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to expel, we're going to deport them. That's kind of what he did. We're going we're gonna to expel them uh, from the city. And so he kicked the Jews out for about an eight year period. Well, after that eight-year period, these Jews, both Christian believers and non-Christian believers, came back into the city of Rome. After this eight years had passed by, they returned. Well, when they got back to their churches, they found that these these non-Jewish Gentile people had started filling the church because they had heard about Jesus Christ. They're in church worshiping. They're in the churches that, you know, the Jewish believers had left because they were deported. So somebody sitting in their seat and they they mad because my grandmother paid for this. That's the kind of thing that was happening. But then beyond that, the problem was the Jewish believers came back. The Jewish believers looked at how the Gentiles was having church. So this, y'all just doing this all wrong. Y'all are messing up. You can imagine them coming to the church and they're saying, you ain't supposed to wear that to church. You ain't supposed to sing them kind of songs. And you, you can't touch that. They came in and they were like, y'all doing church all wrong. We Jewish. We've been doing this for a long time. I got this passed down for my grandfather's 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 grandfather. So we know what we are doing. They, they, they started having arguments. I can't believe y'all moved that chair from this side to that side. There was infighting going on between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile non-Jewish Christians. So Paul writes this letter. He's really talking to the Jews who think they've got it together. They're judging the Gentiles because the Gentiles are not following all the rules and regulations that the Jews are trying to impose on. The Jews are saying, no, you're not a believer unless you're circumcised just like Moses. And well, you're not a believer unless you do church like you ain't really doing it right unless you sing the songs we say. You, if it ain't in that little red hymn, you ain't singing the right kind of song. If you ain't got no deacon opening up your service. Y'all ain't really having church. If you ain't got ushers wearing white with them white shoes, you ain't have, you know, they're church folk. That's kind of what's happening here. So the Jews are saying you ain't following the rules and the regulations that we have. And they're trying to impose it on the Gentiles. And the Gentiles act a little bit like some of us are like millennials. Well, I don't care what you say. I'm not doing that anyway. And so they, they, they kind of fought against it. Paul, Paul writes to the Jews because the Jews perceive themselves as perfect and having it together and the Gentiles are messed up and unworthy. And in this letter, Paul shows us something 
about the grading curve that matters for all of us. You need to understand something really uh, in, in the original Greek language, verses 21 through 31 is one very long Greek sentence. Paul had a lot to say in that one sentence. It's broken down for us to read it a little easier. But here's the first thing this text shows us. Here it is. Point number one, you write it in your sermon insert. The test. That's it. It's, it's just the test. Somebody say the test. All right. I told y'all it's heavy. It's weighty. We're going to wade into it. The test. Paul opens up this letter in chapter one by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. In chapter one, he's letting them know, listen, God has a class called righteousness, and it's a required class for graduation. And some people just kept avoiding the class. God didn't force them to take the class or even show up because before graduation, they would have to take a righteousness exam. Whether they had the class or not didn't really matter to God. It's a test for all humanity, and all of humanity is required to take the test. It's a pass failed test and you need a hundred percent to pass 99 and a half just won't do everybody is required to take the test that's what paul is really writing in chapter one this test is on our ability to follow and keep god's law in the old testament paul says wait I know some of y'all are going to complain saying we weren't in class and we didn't get the textbook. So this isn't given right. This I didn't have the Old Testament and because I didn't have the Old Testament. I should get a waiver. I should be able to be excused. Can I get a doctor's note? Because I wasn't in class with everybody else. I shouldn't have to take this in order to graduate. Chapter one is for people who did not attend class and tried to get a waiver from taking the test. Paul said, no, there are no waivers. Chapter number, one, number two, he talks to people who got the textbook and who went to class and he who was filling themselves and they they think they are special that this is going to be a breeze because at least I went to class and they're laughing at the folk who wasn't in class and ha you scared because you ain't in class you scared because you ain't got to take they filling themselves you know how Eddie Murphy was I got some ice cream I got some ice cream want to lick psych that's kind of what they were saying really to the non-believers or to the to the Gentiles they were laughing and judging others Paul said you laughing and you judging other people because you think you got an advantage over them. Paul basically says, all right, keep that same energy. Keep that same energy. He says, I can understand the Gentiles' concern because they weren't in class. They didn't get the book. But Jews, don't get beside yourself thinking that you're better than the Gentiles. Watch this. Because while you had the textbook, while you had the Old Testament, while you had the law and the prophets, you ain't read it. And while you sat in class, you didn't listen. Chapter number two, verse three, he basically says, look at the pot calling the kettle black. You think you better than somebody else. You're judging the Gentiles for their mess up, but you're doing the same thing. This is important because the same way Jews judge Gentiles, church folk judge other people. Church folk are some of the most judgmental people you can ever meet in life. Paul says God is testing all of humanity on our ability to keep all of his law and it's a pass-fail exam. Watch this. There are six 613 questions on this exam because there are 613 not 10 commandments there are 613 commandments found 
in the Old Testament. We must be careful not to judge people because we think we're keeping our commandments. Watch this. 613. Let's see. It's a pass fail. You need 100%. Let, let's, let's see if we can identify some people who going to already fail. Here it is. Here's just one of the 613. Watch this. You got to read the Bible both morning and night. Half the class already done fail. Watch this. Here it is. You can't hold a grudge. Somebody else already, you, you mad right now because of something somebody did nine years ago. You still mad about it. Here it is, here it is. Watch this, watch this. You can't cuss. Everybody go, watch it. You can't cuss. And if you cuss, you've already messed up. Watch this, here it is, here it is. Uh, uh, uh. You can't lie. Mm. Some of y'all got PhDs in lying. You have mastered. You lie so good, you believe your own lie. And so listen, the truth of the matter is all of us failed the exam. In chapter 1 through 2, Paul reminds all of us that God has administered a test to see if we're able to keep his commandments. And God's standard is perfection. And one mess up means failure. The Jews in Rome were filling themselves because they had the textbook and they were in class. But Paul reminds them that they hadn't read the textbook, nor were they listening in class. The first part of chapter 3 Paul said, God administered the test and he graded the test. Verse number 10, he says, none is righteous. No, not one. This leads us to point number two in this little sermon. Here it is, point number two. If you're taking notes, you see the test. God grades it. Next thing we see is the failure. The failure. Verse number 23 of chapter three, Paul says to them and to us, all have sinned. Somebody say all. Oh, that means everybody. All have sinned. Everybody failed the exam. Nobody met perfection. Have you ever failed a test? Have you ever taken a test that you thought you were going to pass and you still failed the test? That That's an uncomfortable feeling. I'll, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this, y'all. Um, I, I, took, I took a test at Howard University School of Divinity. It was an Old Testament Hebrew Bible. Listen, I, I never forget this. I took this test. We knew the test was coming, so I studied. I studied, um, and I, I, I got the test, and I knew the answer. No answer shocked me. And so we had to write out. It was, it was not one of them bubbling. It was one you had to write out the answer. So I write out the answer because I know the answer. I'm confident. Have you ever taken a test and you're so confident that you get done before everybody else? That you wait because you don't want everybody else to know that you. So I, I waited for somebody else to turn theirs in. I'm looking around at other folks. I am. Uh, listen to me, y'all. I I have ego for days. I mean, I, I'm super confident. Turn my my test in. Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, Howard University School of Divinity. The following week, I came back and I got my test back. And what had happened was, <laughs> I failed. But wait, none of my answers were wrong. I still failed. Pastor Bob, how did you fail a test with all the right answers? The teacher was very specific. She wanted perfection. I'm country. I still can't spell pseudopigraphy. 
And because my spelling was wrong, she marked my answers wrong. All of my answers were right, but they were not written how she wanted them to be written. And I still, I had all the ego for days. But on that day, I sat down and I was in class very quiet. I knew the right answer, but I'm mad at the teacher because she has failed me. You know, it's uncomfortable when you fail thinking you had the right answer. In our day and time, though, uh, that's a little different. In our day and times, uh, this word failure is socially and politically incorrect. No, now some schools don't even give F's. They give E's because, you know, F's are just too negative and it hurts people's uh, feelings. You got some people who've been brought up to think that everything they do is right and perfect. So much so, they got into some of the best schools in the country. They're walking around thinking they scored high and that they're smarter than everybody else. Only to find out they mom and them paid for somebody to cheat for them. It's just a scandal kind of thing. Some people are going around thinking they got it all together. Paul says, everybody failed. Everybody got an F, not an E. Not only that, he says, none of us came close. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23. Not only have all sinned, he said, but all fall short of the glory of God as well. This falls short is sort of like starting class with 100% then before the exam, you mess up so bad that failing, you've already failed before the exam. And if you took the exam, you would still fail anyway. This is kind of what Paul is saying. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul reminds the arrogant Jews in Rome who thought they were perfect and that everybody should be like them. He reminds them that they failed just like everybody else. Paul is basically Basically saying, in the words of that modern poet, Kendrick Lamar, sit down, be humble. You messed up just like everybody else is messed up. You got it wrong just like everybody else has it wrong. So you ain't got no room to judge somebody else's mess up because you toe up from the flow up too. And we need church folk today to sit down and to be humble because you failed, you got sins, you got problems just like everybody else. And because you can quote a scrooge, few scriptures or know some old school hymn doesn't mean you got it all together. Paul says don't look down on other people because of their sins when you got your own sins. Jesus put it like this. Stop trying to get the splinter out of your neighbor's eye when you got a whole log stuck in your ideal with your own log. Some people don't come to church because church folk have made them feel like they got to fix themselves in order to come to church. And the truth of the matter is you just clean up your broken, messed up self. You look good on the outside. But the truth of the matter is, baby, you falling apart and got messed up and hang ups just like everybody else. So sit down. Be humble. Some of our Christianity is like some of our social media posts. Fake. Let me say that one more time. Some of our some of our Christian walk is just like some of our Instagram pages. But you know you know how it is when you take that close up photo. As if you were, some, uh, uh, let's try it this way. Uh, when you out somewhere and you take the selfie with some folk behind you and you ain't really with them, but you want other folks to think you living up the best life. Or, you, you, know, you, you know, you see a Bugatti <laughs> and you post a photo of somebody out here just living my baby. You lying! That ain't your car! 
that's exactly how some of our Christianity is. We walk around because we can look the part. We make people think we're doing well. I told this story before. I remember a guy that was that's an alpha. Uh, he had this housewarming party. He had a nice house. Y'all, his house was really good. God, God had blessed him. But then this joker had a maid, y'all. I mean, he's in his mid-30s. Brother had his maid. He, his house sat on the water. So he had a dock. He was in Fort Washington. Brother had a yacht. I thought it was a yacht like the boat. <laughs> Sitting out. Uh, I, listen, I drove with Nissan Central, so for me, that's a yacht. This brother is amazing. I'm, I'm listening to me, y'all. I'm literally judging my own self. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Have you ever looked at somebody else's social media posts and they're like, they flying all over the place, they just got everything made, and you're like, I'm going to work every single day, and I, I work overtime. I'm just trying to figure out what, how to eat at the best restaurants. And we trying to figure, and this, this is what I did, I looked at this brother's life. So, I remember, I, I shared this once before, we go out on the boat, and it's a party on the boat. I post the photo, I'm on the boat. I mean, it, it's a great kind of party. And so I say to the brother, hey man, let's take it out. So what happened was, he had an engine on the boat. So it looked good, but it can't go nowhere. 